You're listening to Advancing Our Church. You know, another thing that we've seen in some parishes in St. Louis, so uh, getting away from the idea of like separate ministries because of this time, not all ministries are able to meet, but look at your parish like by neighborhoods, form like neighborhood captains. Another idea-packed episode. That's Dave Baranowski, and welcome to Advancing Our Church, a Changing Our World podcast about Catholic stewardship, leadership, and advancement. And I'm your host, Jim Friend. And that was just a little preview from our panel discussion today. But first, it has been quite a week, with a lot of turmoil over our elections and the fate of our country, and the atmosphere at times has been just a wee bit hostile. Um, I was uh, looking at my email the other day, and I noticed I got a message from Bishop Alfred Schlert, my own bishop in the Diocese of Allentown, and he wrote a piece that really spoke to me about how we are talking to each other and maybe how we should be talking to each other during this time. It was called, We Are Not Adjectives, But Children of God. I'll leave a link to this in the show notes, but I'm just going to read it to you because it's very short, and I think it says it says better to you what than anything I could say to you about this election and how we should look at it under the lens of our faith. And it reads, In his masterpiece, City of God, St. Augustine of Hippo said, quote, For the human race is, more than any other species, at once social by nature and quarrelsome by perversion, end quote. The social limitations of the coronavirus and the presidential election prove the wisdom of Augustine's points. During the run-up to the election, it was possible to see America at its best when two side-by-side neighbors were living in peace despite having opposing political candidates' signs in their front lawns. The worst of America was seen as opposing sides insulted one another and even did violence to one another. It was jarring to the American psyche to see storefronts boarded up as a precaution to election day violence. And yet, what a thoroughly American scene it was to see citizens patiently waiting in socially distanced long lines to cast their ballots, a right protected by the shedding of so much courageous blood over the course of our history. Most would consider it poor form and insensitive to refer to a, quote, disabled person, Rather, we have learned that we use the term, quote, person with disabilities. Personhood comes before the adjective. We are members of the human family first. This is our identity, as created in the image and likeness of God. The adjective is secondary to the basic acknowledgement. For this reason, all human life, including the unborn, must be respected and protected. Unfortunately, we have become a nation, a society, that accentuates the adjectives. The adjectives come first. And as a result, we trample the recognition of basic humanity in us. We label ourselves too often by political ideology, race, gender, orientation, or religion. Hasn't this election campaign showed us that we have emphasized these differences to the exclusion of seeing each other as human beings, as fellow citizens? We have become a nation of ists and isms, and we are impoverished by it. After a very caustic presidential campaign, perhaps we can resolve to declare victory for ourselves as human beings and as fellow citizens by putting aside the adjectives and mistrust that has divided us for too long. Our Savior overcame the scourge of sin to restore us to dignity with which the Father created us. 
May we recognize the gift of the Father in each other through the unity of the Holy Spirit and redeemed in the blood of Christ and see ourselves not as individuals identified by adjectives, but as children of God. Well said, Bishop Schlert. Now, let's get to work. Well, as you know, last week we began advancing our church live on Facebook at 4 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays with my co-hosts Anna Vallez and Fred Roberts. And this first week we were joined by Dave Baranowski from the Archdiocese of St. Louis and Marianne Gilbride from the Diocese of Camden. And we had a conversation about virtual events, virtual engagement, and making a connection with parishioners in this environment. And so, without further ado, here is our conversation. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you here today. I've got a great panel of guests here today to talk about virtual events, uh, virtual fundraising, virtual gatherings, just ways in which that we can connect with each other through uh, COVID-19 and, and for the foreseeable future. So let me just introduce our, our panel of guests. Uh, we've all uh, been together before in one form or fashion. Last week, you all had a wonderful panel. Unfortunately, I, I missed out on that. And so we decided to continue the conversation here today. And so I'm really thrilled that you accepted that invitation. First, let me introduce uh, Marianne Gilbride. Marianne is the Director of Development in the Diocese of Camden. I've been on our show a couple of times before. Welcome, Marianne. Glad to have you here. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be here. And we have uh, Dave Baranowski, who's the Director of Parish Stewardship and Leadership in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. Also been on our show a couple of times already. Welcome back, Dave. Thanks, Jim. Good to see you. And of course, we have the wonderful Anna Vallez, uh, Senior Director here at Changing Our World and uh, frequent presenter and uh, also head of our Multicultural Division at Changing Our World. Anna, thanks for being on the show. Welcome, everyone. Happy to be here. And Fred Roberts, our managing director and our frequent co-host of our Advancing Our Church podcast. He's been doing a lot of co-hosting and filling in for me lately. So uh, we've promoted him to co-host and glad to have you here, Fred, with all your great uh, parish and diocesan experience. Thank you, Jim. Nice to have you back. <laughs> so maybe we'll just start, kick it off. We don't have a president yet as of the recording of this podcast, and we're in the hot seat here in Pennsylvania. I know that's not the topic of our podcast today. How's everybody feeling with that? I know we're all kind of keeping our nation in our prayers, and uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts? God's in charge. <laughs> Amen. Let go and let God. That's right. I, I did my part. I voted, and we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we'll do what we can. Exactly. Exactly. Same conversation in St. Louis, too. Everybody's, uh, whoever wins, God's going to win. So yes. that's kind of the feeling back here in St. Louis. That's right. We're that's Catholics, right. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, uh, how long have you been in uh, St. Louis? You've been there quite a while now, The uh, in your position. The end of this year will be nine years. Yeah. Uh, wow. Been in the stewardship. I just say the stewardship guy, whatever the, uh, whatever the words are, but the stewardship guy. Yeah. We have 178 parishes. In the archdiocese, over the nine years, I've been uh, fortunate. I've been able to visit with 151 of the 178 parishes. And every year we work with probably 15 to 20 parishes on either starting a stewardship effort, rebooting, or just getting together and talking about stuff through uh, the International Catholic Stewardship Conference. I've got to meet a lot of people, so I get to travel. Sometimes I get invited to other places. And then prior to that, I worked for a little microbrewery in St. Louis called Anheuser-Busch for 30 years. <laughs> it's a little tiny place, right? A little, little, little place here in St. Louis, yeah. 
So I was there for 30 years. So uh, my little joke is that I was fortunate to work for the King of Beers for 30 years. I now hope to work for the King of Kings the rest of my life. So that's my little joke. Yay, well said. Thanks. <laughs> well, Dave, knowing you, I'm not surprised, uh, knowing your energy and, and all that you give to the church, I'm not surprised you've been to each one of those parishes. That's an, that's an incredible accomplishment all in itself. It's amazing. Yes. Thanks. No, it's, uh, it's fun. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and Marianne, I know that uh, you've been back in the Diocese of Camden for a couple of years. You went over to a, a Diocese of Trenton, but before that you were in Camden. Tell us a little bit about your, uh, your career. Well, I was brought on board to the Diocese of Camden at the turn of the century. So it was the year 2000, and uh, I spent 13 years here, worked my way up to the director of the annual appeal, and uh, we were pretty successful with that, and then got recruited by the Diocese of Trenton. So I took the trek up there, worked there for about five years, and then Camden called me back and said, hey, we have an opening as director. Are you interested? A 15-minute drive, 45-minute drive. Yeah, okay, I'm interested. Let's talk. So yeah. I'm back here. It'll be two years in January. Well, that's great. Oh, that's it's, uh, wonderful. It's, it's exciting to, uh, to see you back in that position and back in uh, your home diocese and doing great that's work for good. them. Thank you. And Anna, you're out in Southern California Sunny California today, that's for sure. It's about 80 degrees. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna, you've been with Changing Our World quite a while now, right? Oh, almost nine years. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. Yes, that's wonderful. That. Enjoyed every bit of it. Fred has walked some of those paths with me, and I've been very fortunate that we both work together on various campaigns. So it's it's been really great. I know we've talked in the past about you working with a lot of our Latino communities and incorporating stewardship as a spirituality. And uh, I'm sure that you've seen a lot of different kinds of Latino communities that you've worked with and different approaches and pastors. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, you know, when one looks at Dallas versus Green Bay, Wisconsin versus Camden and Los Angeles, you really do see differences. And and not just in the Latino community, you've got folks from Guatemala, from Cuba, from Mexico. But the one thing that really that we've learned and I think that has really helped with our offertory program and stewardship efforts is the fact that we recognize that folks speak a different language when talking about stewardship mm -hmm. and that they use different words in Spanish and in English. Right. And so one thing that we've tried to do with our program and our approach is to make sure that everybody speaks the same language, that we all understand what we mean by stewardship and being a good steward of faith. So I'd like to think that in the last, what, eight or nine years, Fred, we've worked with many different dioceses and parishes that I think we've put together a really good approach for our ethnic groups, not just the Latino community, but also Filipinos and Vietnamese. I think recognizing our differences and working with them, you know, starting from there. Wonderful. And Fred, you've been in the consulting world for a long time. How long with Changing Our World? Nine years with Changing Our World, Tim. Just marked 23 years serving the church in this capacity. So Amazing. Yeah, it's been a long winding road. Sometimes I wonder, you know, where the time has gone, but. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you were only 12 when you started, so (laughs) exactly. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I think I agree with Anna. You know, you see a lot of regional differences. One of the things that I've seen is that, you know, we really truly are one church. So in parish work, you get to work with so many great people that, you know, that really care so much about the church and moving forward the mission of the church. So it's been a real honor and a real pleasure for me to work for so many different parish communities, diocesan communities over the years. Happy to be here. It's great, Fred. And it's great having worked with each of you in different ways, whether it's on a podcast or professionally. It, I know that each of you bring a lot of experience and a lot of love for this work and for this mission. So I really appreciate, again, you, you all being on the show. We're going to start uh, a little bit with our conversation on parishes, and then I thought we'd talk a little bit bigger picture with dioceses and and other kinds of examples of working virtually or how we've kind of changed things virtually. So I'm going to start with Dave. Dave, in your capacity in St. Louis, I know you work with a lot of parishes and probably with different parishes around the country who may reach out to you at times. What are you seeing out there as far as examples of how people are still connecting not only with their parishioners, but with God and with their faith today? You know, the the biggest thing that I have seen uh, in St. Louis and in some surrounding areas is just simply when when the COVID virus was at the height in April and May, and and maybe now we, we may be moving back to that again, was parishes simply taking their parish telephone book and groups of ministry leaders just taking 10 from A to Z and literally just calling people and saying, how can we help you? I mean, just as simple as that. And in my, my own experience with my home parish, I was part of a group that did that. And, you know, people were so bored that they actually answered their phone because typically people don't answer their phone. Right. But in this case, people were so bored, they would talk to complete strangers. I, I just, the parish I'm in now, I've been there for two years. My wife and I moved, you know, I was having these great conversations. Well, many parishes now in St. Louis are starting to have this as a regular ministry. They're just calling it the phone call ministry, where sometimes we try to get real clever and cute with ministry that we forget just that personal connection because it's it's brought some people back to church and it's brought people just connecting each other. The other thing that was really cool during live stream masses, again, during uh, April and May, was during offertory when when many of our priests were celebrating mass by themselves or they had a deacon and a lector that there was nobody at, at mass so when the offertory came some of our creative pastors actually took that as an opportunity to kind of give a little one minute homily on the spirituality of giving mm-hmm. and it, it was awesome and and they talked about how you know offertory isn't just our financial transaction with god during mass right because that's what a lot of people this is what it's fallen to but this is really when we unite the gift of ourself, right, with, with the sacrifice of Jesus. So those were just two things of, of how people stayed connected with each other and then with God during the live stream mass. Beautiful. You know, one of the things that I'm connected with are obviously our, my home parish, and I talk with my pastor from time to time and our, our uh, pastoral council president. And you know, one of the things we've talked about is... We have so many ministries, like like many, you know, really active parishes. There's a lot, a lot happening. But one of the things that we talked about recently is just making doing kind of a check-in with each of those ministries now that we know we're going to be in this for a little while. Uh, because there could be somebody, you know, who's leading that ministry who isn't as strong on technology or may not understand all the opportunities or possibilities. But if they just had a little bit of help, they could continue what they're doing. You know, a great example would be men's prayer group. You know, and not everybody knows 
or has access to, you know, the, the Zoom platform or other platforms in which you can connect people. Just do a little touch base and say, hey, do you need some help? I can place you with somebody who knows how to do that so that you guys could still get together once a month, talk about scripture on Zoom and, and continue the the community building that is so important because what we're hearing, I think, so often now is that people are just hungering to connect with one another. You know, they just miss that human contact and they miss that that personal approach. Anyone else seen that? Most definitely, Jim. I think one of the the silver linings this year of all the the crazy things that have been taking place, we had a campaign that's been ongoing in the Archdiocese of Hartford. So we have folks on the ground when the pandemic hit that were able to work with parishes. And we saw firsthand the, the need for especially pastors and and parish leaders to be proactive and creative in, in the ways that they would reach out to their parishioners. We actually started keeping something called a, a good news journal because there were so many of them. I thought I would just share a couple of those. One of the parishes, St. John Bosco, started a ministry called Bosconnect, Bosconnect. I don't know how you pronounce it, but <laughs> the idea is that they would stay connected with their parishioners during the pandemic especially the the folks that are senior and isolated, elderly, that didn't have families, you know, and it was a a very successful effort. Um, There was another pastor who was a a good chef who started a a cooking show and did fireside chats. Oh, that's Um, great. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think just to kind of uh, reinforce what David said, not to be afraid to pick up the phone and use those communications channels that are available to you. We know pastors that were calling, you know, multiple families every day. They were keeping their churches open for quiet prayer, keeping the bulletin out there. There's a local online paper that they were, you know, using to communicate. So they were really being creative in addition to showing the mass on Facebook and making sure that you have online giving and all those good tools. Think of the other things that you can do and be creative. We saw, you know, and I think other parishes did this too, but the drive-in concepts. And one of the parishes in Waterbury even built an altar in their parking lot so that people could come and and participate in mass in their cars. So uh, we saw a lot of great stories and ways for folks to be connected. Jim, let me just comment. What we've done here is with our Latino and Filipino communities who sometimes work night shifts, uh, sleep during the day. We have an abrazos program, abrazos meaning hugs, And so uh, we've got a whole committee that will just call folks. And if you can't reach them by phone, we'll send a little emoji with a hug to folks, just letting them know that we're thinking of them and we're sending virtual hugs. So that's been really good. We've had a great response from that. Yeah, our pastor was into the the phone calls and, and connections as well. And and we had even done some of that from the diocese, just calling our donors just to make an additional thank you. And the great thing is, like Dave and Fred and Anna said, you get into these conversations with people. They're home now, so they don't have as much that they're doing outside. So they are open to talk. You find out things that are going on in people's lives. You add them to your prayer list when necessary. And they they so appreciate that. And Our pastor got creative with a software called Constant Contact, where he would send out blast emails to all the parishioners to let them know things are still happening at the parish. We had just finished the capital campaign, 
And our parish was working on a lot of those things that they had raised money for. So they used that as an opportunity to say, hey, we're putting in pews this week. Hey, we're painting this week. So even though people couldn't get to the church, they knew that things were happening. Yeah, you know, another area that we haven't touched on yet was uh, in, in St. Louis, we have a lot of rural parishes. We have a lot of parishes where, you know, we've got one priest out there and maybe a part-time staff person. So there was an effort to make sure that all of our priests were uh, taken care of, you know, so that these guys weren't just out there by themselves in in the middle of this. Because, you know, I'm sure in your diocese as well, a lot of these men are older, right? I mean, these these guys are the guys that are the prime targets of, of the virus. So, you know, we were trying to make an effort to make sure that our pastors somebody was taking care of them and you right. know and, and reaching out to them as well. You know, that's so so critical what you're saying there, David. I, I remember one of the webinars that we did back in the spring where we had kind of a young adult focus and we talked a lot about how there's such a great opportunity to bridge the younger and the older parishioners together during this time. You know, that maybe younger parishioners are feeling a little more emboldened, maybe a little less vulnerable to go out into the world. And there's an opportunity for them to connect with folks who who need that human contact or that assist on, on whatever it is, technology or what have you. So the other day I sat in on a webinar that talked about the different generations. Hmm. And, you know, I'm, I'm 60 now. So I guess when I was younger, I don't remember all these generational divides that we seem to have today. I mean, everybody's got a label, you know, and like, this is how you define everybody. And yeah, what you're saying, Jim, I hope maybe we can break down some of those barriers. I remember we used to call it the generation gap, but that was about it. But now you've got so many different generation X, Y, Z, and now we're restarting at alpha because we've already gone through the alphabet. So now this is crazy. I didn't know we were restarting at Alpha. Yeah, I heard this the other day that, that they're restarting now because we've got the Z now. Now Alpha is like the kids being born now. Yeah. So right. anyway, but but how can we just all be one body of Christ without um, this or that or the other? We, we, we got to get back to that. Oh, I agree. So I want to continue to hear about your ideas that pertain to things that you've seen. But what about some ideas? You know, we're coming up on the Advent season. We're coming up on the season of Lent. Are you seeing some parishes that are preparing in a unique way, or do you have some thoughts on how parishes can connect during the season of Advent and the season of Lent that are coming up? Those are, those are great opportunities. They always have been where many people may come back to church, and now there's this little bit of a barrier that we have. Certainly Christmas time is maybe the biggest season for people coming back to church and coming back to Mass. So what are the opportunities that we see, and, and how can parishes capitalize on that still, even in this uh, environment? Any thoughts? So, you know, a lot of our parishes... The big question is, you know, how are we going to get people to come back to church, right, when this is all over? And we're all seeing that this is probably summer, right? We're we're into middle of next year before this yeah. thing, we get a handle on it. So the bigger question we're asking people is, what, what are we inviting them back to, right? Because if it's the same thing, you know, maybe we've lost an opportunity. So a lot of kind of the messaging in St. Louis we're trying to get out is, let's take this time to Advent especially, as we're preparing for the the birth of our Savior, what are those worldly things that I can prune myself from, right? That I I can prepare myself, you know, die to self so that I can resurrect, right, into new life. And this is kind of the idea of, so let's take parishes, let's take these next three, four, five months, whatever, 
And, and let's think about this. What can we do differently so that hopefully by Lent of next year, hopefully we'll pick that as the target date, Ash Wednesday, that we've got kind of a, a, an evangelization plan that, yeah. that we're going to go out to parishes. And Fred, had, had, Fred said it earlier, the lukewarm nature of parishes, they're just canceling things, right? Because it's easy. Right. Well, how do we be more creative and innovative? Yeah. Right. That's that's what the joy of the gospel. That's what the, the Pope's calling us to do is that the new methods, new art. You know, what are those new zeal? What are the new zeal? I think there's an opportunity. So this is this is what we're trying to instill in parishes. I, I don't have like specific things, but yeah. other than let's take these four or five months of ministries collaborating on proclaiming the gospel. So so instead of having our own individual ministry things, how do we get everybody focused on evangelization? Yeah, let's let's focus on that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Dave, as you were talking, I was just thinking about the fact that we're still, I think, in many cases, having a hard time getting people to come back to Mass. You know, even those who could come back to Mass are still opting to do the online piece. And I do agree with you. I, I think now more than ever, we have to double down on evangelization and really reaching out and looking for creative ways to connect with people because there is a danger, isn't there? I mean, at least from my perspective, that will we recapture that? It's great we got people on online giving. It's great that in many cases we're supporting and keeping the lights on and the mission still going. But what about the next step? You know, and, and how do you keep people engaged and then bring them back to mass? I, th I think you're right. I think I think there's an opportunity here to really get creative. I've seen too, though, Jim, that even though many of the parishes are partially open, there are still a lot of people who are very afraid. They're still not doing their food shopping in person. You know, mm -hmm. they're using those uh, Instacarts and, you know, all of those other kinds of things. They're not taking their kids places. I, I think that's part of it. I'm seeing that our church for the percentage we're allowed to fill, we're filling that. So some people are coming back, but I, I think part of it is still a fear. Yeah. It's definitely a difficult time to try to plan, make plans, right? You know, we haven't gone through a year like this ever in my life, in our lifetime. So, you know, to make plans is very difficult. And I think Dave and Miriam make really good points that, you know, we need to be thinking down the road because if we're, you know, a week before Advent starting to think about it, it's, you know, it, it's it's too late by that time. So really think we need to, to be proactive and, and be planning well ahead of time. And I think we also need to emphasize, as we always do, leadership. So in every parish community, there are parish leaders, there's groups, there's folks that you can turn to. So to utilize all the, the, the resources in your parish, including the human resources, the folks that, that are leaders and can, can help us to, to get, take the message out to all the folks is, is also a key. Yeah. And, and if we keep up that live streaming. Some of the parishes are doing live stream novenas leading up to certain feast days and other types of prayer group Zooming. I think continuing that kind of stuff at least is, is helping people to stay connected until they can kind of drop that fear level. And as things open up and we're allowed to go out more and participate more in, in groups that they'll feel better and they'll still feel connected. So now they can just take that final step of being there in person. We in the Midwest don't have the option of having an outdoor Christmas mass like we could in the summertime, you know, start having <laughs> outdoor masses. So I think yeah, that's another challenge. 
Yeah. Yeah. We're still, we're so fortunate that we're still able to have outdoor masses on Sunday and actually one on Saturday. It's, it's really great. And, and it's not just masses either. We're having like small gatherings, you know, where everybody can maintain their six feet of distance, but you can still gather together, even if six feet apart. So, yeah, I think that's important. The other thing that uh, you said, Dave, and I think each of us has kind of touched on is to kind of help folks steer away from words like canceling, stopping, you know, and, and really bring them to a conversation where we're readjusting, you know, pivoting. You know, we've we've heard that word a lot. Reinventing, you know, uh, what can we do to, to still keep our fall event going on, to still stay in touch with folks? What can we do differently to maintain that communication? I like that. I like that we've got folks at least thinking about that. And I think we just need to keep talking about it. You know, another thing that we've seen in some parishes in St. Louis, getting away from the idea of like separate ministries because of this time, not all ministries are able to meet, but look at your parish, like by neighborhoods, form like neighborhood captains, Mm -hmm. right? So if people aren't able to go to the grocery store, you know, the people that are willing to go out, whatever that is. So we've seen some parishes where they're, where they're kind of reorganizing by like neighborhoods and and how can those, how, how can those 25 families in this area, how can we help support each other on those human things? But then also maybe, maybe that's another prayer group opportunity or, or, you know, faith sharing opportunity within those neighborhoods. So that, that was, that's kind of another way that we've seen some parishes in St. Louis kind of reorganizing the parish instead of these large ministries kind of breaking down and, and really getting to this idea of the domestic church, right? This is how our faith started, right? It masters right. in people's houses. So this has become kind of a theme in St. Louis too, of, of reorganizing this, this domestic church. My home parish, I'm on our stewardship committee. We've been having our stewardship meetings at my house. This is prior to the pandemic. And I will tell you, there's a whole different feel having eight of my friends, fellow parishioners at my house talking about stewardship than it is sitting in the parish hall. Mm-hmm. And talking about stewardship, it, it's right. much more friendly and and not that, not that it was hostile, but it's it just right. it, it's more welcoming. It's just welcoming. a more welcoming right. thing. Homey, yeah, homey, yeah. I, I, I do it. think there's just a tremendous opportunity. Like I think, just echoing what everybody is saying here, that people will remember that too. You know, I mean, they they will remember how we connected with them or how we didn't connect with them during this time. And so I think there's just a, yeah. a golden opportunity as we look at the next six months, whatever that looks like, six or eight months. And it isn't brain surgery, right? It's not rocket science. We know how to organize people. You know how to put some phone lists together and just start reaching out to people and see what they need and, and how you can help them. Jim, in the second half of this year, we've begun to reorganize a, a group of 25 parishes that are doing the, the diocesan campaign in, in Hartford. And um, so there are, are several of those that are very reluctant and hesitant to, to start meeting in person. But there are some that, that are willing to get going, get back and start to, to do face to face. And I think those parishes have been very successful in meeting and doing, you know, with social distancing, 
but that has kind of opened the door for them to be able to continue to do that. So I think it's a process and we just have to take that first step in faith. Yep. Totally agree. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit on our conversation. We can come back to this, but as we think about kind of moving from the parish to the diocesan level, Marianne, uh, you run the Bishop Samuel Peel in your diocese, a cause which is near and dear to my heart, having run a Bishop Samuel Peel in my diocese for many years. <laughs> How are you guys looking differently at, uh, you know, from the, from the macro level, from the diocesan level to reach out to folks and, and try to make that connection during the appeal? We really have been trying to think of what's the same, what can we still do that we've done before, and there are a number of things that we still need materials, we still need a theme, we still need to reach out to the parishes and make sure that they have all the materials they need. But then, oh dear, what do we do with our kickoff? We normally assemble representatives from the parishes, we all come together, we celebrate and reveal the new theme and we give them out their materials and we have speakers and you know so the idea was well again what can we still do that's the same and so we're going to do a virtual launch this year we're going to still have people speak so that we have people who either serve within the community or have been served by the church during the the last year or so to share their story and why it's important for the volunteers who help to get the message out to all of their parishioners. We purchased some cute little House of Charity bags. That's the name of our annual appeal, House of Charity Bishop's Annual Appeal. We're going to assemble the materials in there and we will personally distribute them out either to a particular parish or to maybe the dean, his parish, so that they can be picked up in socially distant manner. Our in-pew solicitation is liable to be different. We don't even know if we're going to be back in the churches again. We're, we're hearing that that could possibly back up. So what do we do? So we're planning to have all of our materials go out to the high-end donors as we had done before and have the pastors call them and speak with them about the appeal and how it's more important than ever to have their participation because not everybody can in the way that they used to. We're making sure that anybody who, who does get a mailing receives it prior to the weekend of in-pew solicitation. And we're planning on making a big deal of it and pushing it. It's in-pew weekend. It's coming up just like they do with like a Giving Tuesday, you know, mm -hmm. where you just mm -hmm. continue to advertise it and make sure people understand how important it is and now more than ever and, and that kind of thing. So as much as we can do the same, we're going to try as much as we need to innovate, we're going to try. We're still going to have the annual appeal video. The parishes can still show that on their live stream masses, mm -hmm. and they can either have a live speaker come and, and talk, or the speaker can present in a live stream manner. Those kinds of things will continue. We normally have a benefactor's reception like this time of year, we had a great guy who who donated the venue and the food and the drink. Everything was donated for people who had given at a certain level 
and up. And I think we had maybe over 400 people last year. And wow. this particular vendor donated the whole thing. So wonderful. you can't have a dinner. So what do we do? So we had the bishop tape an appreciation talk so that every single donor at that level and above is going to get this little video snippet from the bishop that says, hey, I wish we could be together again this year. And and I'm so sorry we can and maybe next year. But hey, thank you so much. When I count my blessings, I count you because it, it was really cute. So each person is going to get something like that in their email. If they don't have email, we'll send it to them like on a little tape or disc or something. And, uh, you know, just trying to do whatever we can to, you know, make things the same, but different. That's awesome. That's awesome. Love it. Are you hearing, Marianne? I know know we were all at the ICSC conference a few weeks ago. Are you seeing a lot of other dioceses doing about the same thing or have you have you seen anything new and innovative coming out? Yeah, we're we're all having to to pivot. And I guess like depending on like like Dave said, you know, you've got some of the the rural rural parishes where things are a whole lot different for them. So they're probably having to pivot in in ways that we don't have to not being sure what they were doing in the past. I don't know, but but the whole idea of all of that basic stuff of picking up the phone and calling people is just still so very important and, and so appreciated. And then you find out, like I said, that, you know, somebody needs some extra prayers or who can we pray for? You know, what can we pray for for you? Or you find out somebody's in need of some services. Oh, we've got a department of Catholic charities that can help you. Let me get them in touch with you. It's all special. Absolutely. Well, that's tremendous, Mary Ann. I, I know, Fred, you've been working with the Hartford Bishops Foundation on doing a capital campaign there, and a lot of that has had to be done virtually. How has your strategy changed up a little bit in running those campaigns? I imagine it looks a little different. It sure does, Jim. I think Mary Ann made some excellent points. You know, From my perspective, all the challenges that we face also provide opportunities. So to look for those opportunities to do things differently Nowadays, I think, you know, Zoom is is more part of our vocabulary than we ever right. anticipated it would be <laughs> 2019 back. But people are really used to, you know, to the concept of the Zoom. And it's not as intimidating as maybe the first time that you do it and try to figure it all out. It's more second nature now. So we certainly are doing a lot more virtual meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, we also are utilizing the, the technology to really double down on the videos. I know for our campaign, we've done uh, we've done a couple of videos that have been produced and put out onto the, the diocesan website. One right from the Archbishop, Archbishop Blair, who gives words of encouragement to all the volunteers and all the, the parishes that are getting back into the game, so to speak. And that's been a, a great source of comfort. And we also produced a, an impact video, which talks about how the foundation responded to the pandemic by creating an emergency response fund and and distributing over the course of the the last few months has distributed a half a million dollars to parishes to help them, you know, with their urgent needs. So Mm -hmm. um, we were able to tie that into the capital campaign and the the initiatives and the ways that that it's preparing the church for the future Mm -hmm. and been able to, to, to distribute that. And that's something that we'll continue with. 
you know, more impact videos. So yes, just as Marianne described, we're we're doing things a, a lot the same. There's things that you always do that are best practices in terms of meeting with folks and talking to them face to face, giving them, you know, personal attention and, and we want to continue that. But the ways that we deliver that message have to be have to change and we need to be creative in the ways that we're doing it. Absolutely. One of my clients is in the Diocese of Manchester. We're providing a, a, a short-term service to them in helping them get a stewardship program going. So we're doing time, talent, and treasure, much like we did for you years ago in the Diocese of Camden, Marianne, way, way, way back when we met. I was there. <laughs> I know you were there. <laughs> that was a couple decades ago, but anyway. Um, you were 12. Yeah, I was 12. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I was 12. But anyway, in the, in the Diocese of Manchester, I should say, but I've not, uh, I've only been to Manchester once uh, to visit them before COVID started. I provided all this service to them completely 100% remote. I've been talking with their pastors on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I did all the committee trainings on Zoom and then they recorded them. And then the pastors that couldn't make it, watch the trainings. And it is amazing though. I mean, just how we used to feel like we had to be there in person all the time and we had to get on a plane and but it's just, and I am, you know, I was talking to one of the pastors just this week, and he's already seeing great results, new volunteers, new revenues coming in, you know, th- people are embracing it. And it really is amazing uh, how in six months, it feels like we've really flipped the switch. And I talk to a couple of my clients multiple times a week on, on this kind of platform. And I feel like almost I got to know them more and are better and uh, more better. That's not a good English, but I got to know them better and spent more one-on-one time with them than if I had to get in the car, you know, and drive the miles and go see them and then try to carve out part of the day. It's just like, boop, we pop it on and, and here we are. So we, we do that in our professional life, translating that into connecting with people on a personal level. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And, you know, the only thing I'd like to add that we've done at our church here is that we've used the high school students. You know, we're connecting the generations like we spoke about earlier. And the high school students are coming to the parking lot. Folks are bringing their cars. They're sitting in the cars. And the high school students are the ones that are showing the older folks how to use the text to give because they feel more comfortable with the text to give apps. So the high school students now are engaged. They're feeling like they're needed, they're useful, and they're very patient with the older folks that just have a little bit of a hard time learning all that technical stuff. So I, you know, in addition to what you've all said, I just wanted to point out that connecting the generations in that way is so important. Oh, yeah. Marianne, I know you recently had to transition a dinner into a virtual event, and you had some great success with that. Tell us a little bit about that. You know, we do this Justice for All event um, for Catholic Charities. And what happens is there's one person, one special person who's honored overall. And then there are a number of Disciples of Mercy who are recognized for their service within their part of the diocese. And we normally get the save the date out in like April. Well, you know, April, we were in the midst of the pandemic and how this is, how, what are we going to do? How long is this going to last? We didn't make the decision to go virtual until July. So our save date went out in July and that just told them, Hey, we're still going to do it. And it's going to be virtual kind of stay tuned and, and save the date. And then 
right after that, we started doing those regular things of getting the solicitations out for the sponsorship. So people who had given before was like, hey, we're doing this again. We're in a very challenging time. We need you more than ever. Mm -hmm. So those all went out. And then the phone calls started to go to, to follow up to, hey, we're just calling to follow up. Did you get everything? And you know, so we went with those. Some of the people who were higher end givers had conversations where they told our executive director, you know, what can we do to help? We had three major people step up with two $25,000 donations and another wow. $50,000 wow. that really helped to get us started. So the word was out around the diocese. We started advertising in the local newspaper, sending out emails of what was going on. Our communications department was phenomenal because they now were charged with making this thing. Well, here's the thing. The one the one suggestion was, oh, we'll make it a full day thing like a telethon. It's like, oh no, please. Wow. Um, so we kind of talked him down from that. And really, we want people to stay tuned for the whole thing. So we finally got him to agree to an hour. Yeah. And that was really perfect time. And and the people within the department helped to do the little videos. Every year, we would normally have little videos of the different awardees. And so that would be creative. So again, we'll do the same thing. We'll create that. So we had all those done. Bishop Sullivan was our main honoree. And so he had someone from, who was a buddy of his for years. We got to see pictures of him when he was a baby priest and when he was a pastor, when he was in New York, oh, when he came to here. So they did a fabulous job in pulling all of these little pieces together. And the executive director was kind of the MC. He talked us through things. He gave us that impact of what Catholic Charities is doing while kind of introducing the different areas that were serviced and highlighted by the awardees. So we ended up raising $180,000, which was 40,000 more than the previous year when we were in person. Part of the money would come from like people buying tables, you know, and, and tickets. This event was free. There were no ticket prices. And I was a little nervous about that, but they were sure that they didn't want to charge anything. They wanted people to make a donation. And, yeah. and so they did. Yeah. Um, people stepped up as either as they had before. We even had some brand new donors because of word of mouth or people moving into the area or knowing the honorees. So that was a wonderful thing. And then at the end of the event, we called every single donor and just gave them another thank you. We let them know how much we raised. We let them know that it was a direct result of their participation that we were able to, to do this well. Thank them again. They'll get another letter with our little giveaway is a mask that says Catholic Charities on the oh, side. Fun. So, you know, they'll get that as well. But it's like all those little things. What can we do that's the same that worked? And what do we need to challenge ourselves right. with, with doing a little different? And it was a great, we'd had the people from communications did like the intro piece. So they started out low and then we got a little louder and then, and now presenting, you know, <laughs> we got a whole big, 
it was great. All the all the sponsors were highlighted in the video and they just they did a fabulous job. Fabulous job. Do you use any special software to create like a microsite for that? Well, we had used our our regular websites, our Facebook page and all of that, but Part of what we added was an auction, which we had never done before. Mm -hmm. So we were able to solicit creative things like artwork by local artists. One of our priests, somebody had mentioned about the cooking. Uh, One of our priests is a chef, you know, dinner with Father Anthony. And he's got this big dining room in his rectory so he could safely make dinner for four. So, you know, that was one of the special things. And it was um, one cause is the the name of the software and it might be known as BidPal. So that then enabled people to to register, to make a donation, to sign up to bid on one of the auction items. So it it just all kind of came together. And because we use Razor's Edge, we were concerned about making sure we had all of that data importable into Razor's Edge and they said there'd be no problem. So we've got the data now. We just have to pull it into our Razor's Edge software. But there is a website if somebody, you know, if anybody wanted to go out and see that. We did the same thing with Chesterdale College. We used one cause and it was very yeah. user-friendly software. Yeah. You know, they had a great database administrator who kind of ran the back end for us and we organized into teams. And we talked about it on this show in the past. And we'll make sure we put a link to your website that you created, Marianne, yeah, okay. when we post this video on the Advancing Our Church site so people can take a look at it. But we did something very similar at Chestnut Hill and, and exceeded their goal too. They had a and a longstanding 11-year gala, and you know, but only a couple hundred people would come. Well, this event, like yours, I'm sure, involves so many more people mm-hmm. that would never have come to the gala that were reached out to just for an outright gift. And so yeah. the cost went down, but the uh, but it magnified, you know, and was reached out to so many more people. You know, I think it was something like over 500 donors to this thing, and normally there'd be 200 people that went to the to the dinner. So to the event. There's just great opportunity. Now for the next year, what I understand is they're thinking about a hybrid event, maybe part of it online and part of it in person if they're able to do that. So I think there's lessons we're learning here throughout this whole Mm -hmm. process that we're going to carry on even when we're all allowed to be in the same room together again. It's great. Yeah. Well, folks, I'm just going to go around the horn here, maybe for some closing thoughts from everybody. And uh, just so everybody knows before we do that, we're going to continue to do this on a weekly basis in November and December and just continue our conversations. We're going to be live here on Facebook at four o'clock Eastern. So uh, set your calendar, set a little reminder, and we'd love to have you come and log in and, and see this. And of course, all these shows are recorded and are available on the Advancing Our Church uh, podcast website. And so you can go back and see that and all the other shows that we've done in the past with all our wonderful guests. So uh, why don't we start with Dave? Dave, any closing thoughts for us today? Yeah, just one other one. We've talked about annual appeals uh, campaigns. You know, another vehicles that we've been advertising is donor advised funds, plan mm-hmm. giving. These mm-hmm. are other ways people can can give. In St. Louis, many people were very, oh, the pandemic, there's a lot of people un- unemployed, underemployed, lost their job. And that is true. We are praying for all those folks. But there are still many people that still have their job. There's still many people that are retired and are required to take so much money out of their, their IRA every year. And just giving these folks exposure to different types of way to give, we have found has been tremendous. Mm-hmm. They weren't, they were simply unaware of this kind of stuff. Exactly. So promote those types of tools as well. 
Excellent point. Excellent. Marianne? I would say don't give up. Don't cancel. These are all opportunities for us to build the kingdom. And and maybe it's one way of God saying, oh, I think there's some better ways for you to do this. And, <laughs> and we're finding them just because we're being challenged. So how wonderful it is that, that we are reconnecting with a lot of people that we are by our phone calls or showing them that like we are here for you and we do want to help. Absolutely. Thanks, Marianne. Fred? Totally agree with that, Marianne. And uh, I think St. P.L. said it best, pray, hope, and don't worry. So much of uh, everything that we do is how we approach it. So like I said earlier, I, I think, you know, all the challenges that we face, the, you know, the best thing we can do is to really look for opportunities to, to solve those, those problems and, uh, and stay positive. Without a doubt. Anna? Just the staying connected with folks and, and yes, again, just pretty much echoing everyone not to cancel or stop events and activities, to, to, to use this as an opportunity to really connect with as many as possible. I can't think of any other way to bring people close together, connecting them when you're working towards a common cause, you know, or or a goal for the parish or even a diocese or an event, you know, it keeps them engaged and it keeps them connected and makes them feel needed, especially in a time where there's so much uncertainty. Folks are feeling left out. Let's bring them back in by keeping our activities going. Couldn't agree more. You all had such great words of wisdom to share today. I really appreciate you coming on. Again, another reminder, we had this great webinar last week. And if you're listening to this and you missed the webinar, it's actually now episode 75 of our podcast. And you can go on our website and actually you can either listen to the audio version or you can see the video version and watch a webinar right there online. And all these great folks are on there. So once again, thanks to all of our wonderful guests. Thanks for being on our show today. And uh, we hope to see everybody who's watching this next week. Thanks, special thanks to Dave and Marianne. Thanks for being on. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Thanks guys. God bless. I want to thank Dave Baranowski and Marianne Gilbride for being on our show today. And if you found this content helpful and you'd like to continue the conversation, please join us on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern for our new Facebook Live with my co-hosts Anna Vallez and Fred Roberts from Changing Our World. And this week, we have Father Boniface Hicks, who is the host of We Are One Body, the Catholic radio show and Annie Sarlo, the Deputy Director for Evangelization and Formation in the Diocese of Allentown. I hope you'll join us for this conversation about transforming our parish communities in the season of Advent. Are you ready to prepare the way? I hope you'll join us. Well, that's our show this week. Many thanks to the Changing Our World podcast team, which includes Joe Jennings, Colleen Burdick, and of course, my co-hosts, Anna Vallez and Fred Roberts. And of course, Pottery Studios for another great show. And if you'd like more information about our show, please visit us at advancingourchurch.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And as you know, Advancing Our Church is a production of Changing Our World, and we are a fundraising and social impact consulting firm that has been advising both nonprofits and corporations for over 20 years. For more information, please visit us at changingourworld.com. And that's our show this week. I hope you all have a wonderful week. Take care and thanks again for all you do to advance the mission of our church. God bless everyone.